Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 61. Glad you could join us. Today, Bonnie is joined by Amanda Hayes and Alexandra Pischke, two middle school teachers here at Colby. When I think about my own middle school days, I can feel nostalgic, happy, grateful, sometimes sad, or sometimes even embarrassed at the person I was then. It is an interesting time in anyone's life, to say the least. We are so glad that we have such dedicated teachers who are there for our students during these often confusing middle school years. Enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And I'm Jordan. As a product of homeschooling, I'm proud to teach Greek and Latin for Colby online and serve as the alumni and public relations director. Let me take you back in time to the early 90s when I was in middle school. (laughs) After lunch, instead of recess, we had something called Coke break, where we stood around on the blacktop outside, I forget where we went if the weather was bad, and talked for 15 or so minutes with our small styrofoam cups of whatever carbonated beverage we had gotten from the concession stand inside, since where I come from, soft drinks are collectively known as Coke, as in, let's go get a Coke. And then after that, we specify what kind of Coke we mean, do we mean any kind of soft drink from that. Anyhow, I've invited Mrs. Amanda Hayes and Mrs. Alexandra Pischke to join me on this virtual blacktop and canvas some matters relating to middle schoolers. Ladies, welcome to the Colby cast. Hello. Hi there. I would love to get acquainted a bit. So uh, Mrs. Pischke, what brought you to Colby? Well, um, first, I'm from a state that we say Coke as well. So (laughs) I'm in Georgia and uh, my husband's an Air Force veteran. So before we lived in Georgia, we lived in California and in Maryland. And while we were stationed in California, I went to Bible study with a lady named Elizabeth Hoxie. Um, A lot of students probably know Mrs. Hoxie. She's the science department chair. Mm -hmm. And I called it a unicorn job. She tells me she has this job where she works from home and her kids are with her. And I'm like, where's this job? Because before (laughs) moving to California, I was a public school teacher in Maryland. And with the military, with moving frequently, I had to quit a job twice for my husband's service. So um, when we moved to California, I actually stepped away and decided to stay home. But this was back in 2014, 15, and there were not any middle school math openings. Well, then my husband, we moved to Georgia for his job And I am literally laying in bed one night praying and God tells me to check the Colby website and I go to check and there is a math seven opening. Like I was so excited. I immediately text Elizabeth. I'm like, is there really like a middle school seventh grade math teaching position? And that was four years ago and I have been here ever since. So that's how I got um, brought to Colby Academy. Oh, I love it. I love it. What a fun story. And now you're in that area with lots of Colby teachers. There's a lot of y'all around that area, aren't there? Yes, and I'm actually today at the director's house, Mrs. Lingle's house with the Atlanta teacher workshop. So there's about a dozen of us all here that live in the Atlanta area. That is so fun. Mrs. Hayes, what about you? How'd you come to Colby? Yeah. So I actually started out in Atlanta as well. That's where I went to (laughs) high school, college, all of that. And then my husband and I moved away when we got married. And we moved a lot after we got married because my husband was a Lutheran pastor and you sort of go where you need to go. And so I was a stay-at-home mom that whole time with our children and we started homeschooling and I'd always loved Colby's curriculum. So I usually followed a lot of the Colby recommendations for curriculum. 
And then my husband, uh, and so I was Catholic all along, and um, my husband actually converted to Catholicism, which being a Lutheran pastor presents certain difficulties because it means you lose your job. And so he he left his job. And so I found myself in need of working (laughs) again. Mm -hmm. And so while I had intended to go back to teaching um, when my children were older, realized I needed at least something part-time. So I was doing various part-time gigs. And then someone local to us where we are here now in Virginia mentioned that Colby Academy was hiring. And I was like, for online teachers. And I was like, well, wouldn't that be a dream job? I mean, I love Colby's curriculum and I could teach online from home. I was like, that would be perfect. So, so I, so I applied and interviewed and, and got the job and that was, um, about five years ago. So it's been perfect. So I can still, I'm still home with my kids, still homeschooling them, but I'm able to teach and I'm able to teach at an authentically Catholic school, which is like Alex said, it's a, it's a unicorn kind of a job. <laughs> I love hearing all the stories, how we all come to Colby. So Mrs. Hayes, what are you teaching now at Colby? So I teach um, English 6 and Literature 6. I've taught other various middle and lower high school um, English and Literature classes, but the sixth graders have been my sort of bread and butter for the last five years. And what about you, Mrs. Pischke? I'm teaching Accelerated Math 7, Algebra 1, and then Homeroom 7. Okay, so we have two experts on middle schoolers here, well-versed in the complexities and the uniqueness of this age And I would love to hear what draws you to teach and minister to middle schoolers. I'll start with this one. So I know for me growing up, um, middle school was really hard and Mm -hmm. I really needed those adults in my life to um, be there for me when I was having a hard time. And I remember I had a middle school math teacher that I was always just really close to and she was always like willing to help me in class and talk to me. And I've always just had a really good relationship with that age group as well. Like I've coached sports and I've coached middle schoolers. I volunteer at the church. I always find myself working with the middle school students. And I think it's because as a child, I knew how much I relied on those relationships that I want to be that person, hopefully for some of my students as well. Thank you on behalf of middle schoolers everywhere for for taking that on and approaching it that way, drawing upon your own experience to, to help those who are in that age group now. What about you, Mrs. Hayes? Yeah, so I love the middle schoolers for a few reasons. I mean, partly just they're kind of crazy and I kind of enjoy that. I, I, I like that. They're in this really fun stage between being children and they still goof off and they don't take themselves too seriously, but then sometimes they'll get very self-conscious and they're, they're starting to really think about themselves as a unique independent person. They're sort of establishing who they are, what they, what they are going to do, what they believe, you know? And when I think back to my own middle school age, like that was such a critical time period. My closest friend is my friend I met in eighth grade. And that's when I started attending church. Mm-hmm. My family was not a church church attenders. And so that's when I started sort of developing my faith. And it's just such a crucial time. And they're just so much fun. And the sixth graders, especially that sixth graders to eighth grade, it's a big, it's a big difference between those two age groups. But yeah. um, the sixth graders are fun because they very much, especially our Colby students who are 
primarily homeschooled and they don't take themselves too seriously. They're still willing to be goofy. You know, they can be very sweet, but they also can handle a little bit of sarcasm. I was joking. I could never mm-hmm. teach first graders because they might take me too seriously because <laughs> I, I will happily troll my students a little bit. They know I will, if they're, if they're pulling nonsense, I will troll them with memes come the next class period. <laughs> if I'm seeing ridiculousness on the homework, you know, um, I, I happily do that. And the middle schoolers enjoy that kind of thing. So I like being able to joke around with them a little bit, but also I find as they're developing that abstract thinking, you can have more serious conversations with them. You can talk about bigger concepts in literature and things like that than you could even just a couple of years prior. Sure. I definitely see that with our kids who are now um, the youngest is 11, the eldest is 16 coming through this age group, how it seems like in some ways when they have been on the lower end of that age, they are in some aspects, enjoy things from their childhood years, but are also looking to interests that are sort of more mature and more um, older is the only word that comes to mind at the moment for that. But but it's sort of um, all juxtaposed together so that in some areas there's on the younger side, some areas they're on the older side, and it's it's a bit disjointed at times. And I think it can be as confusing for them as it is for us. Like, okay, what's happening there? So at the same time, you're so right about being able to relate to them on, on a deeper level and talk about things that are so much more complex. And, and it's it's a really neat time as well. So uh, with that in mind, Mrs. Pischke, what about, is there anything in particular that appeals to you about the middle school age? Well, first they're just, as Mrs. Hayes was saying earlier, they're just funny, you know, like they're very honest. <laughs> um, like when I used to teach in the public school, like they'll tell you the truth whether you're ready to hear it or not. So the other part is they're also still really excited to learn. I teach homeroom seven and they're just so excited to be there. They're like, they get to talk to each other. They want to socialize. And so they're really excited. And then they're more independent than elementary, but they also still rely on their teachers too. So I like that age group that they are a little bit more independent with their learning, but yet they still like need that instruction from their teacher. And that's kind of a delicate line. I walk as a mom, like as much as you can do for yourself, I want you to do, but I know you still also need a lot of help from me. So trying to sort out, which is it today? In which areas do you need more help from me? And in which areas would it be better for you to do more of this yourself? That's the tricky business that I find myself in a lot of the time. So thinking about this age group and um, as they enter, you know, middle school is a big step forward, academic wise, expectation wise, all that. We've got a lot going on here. So how can we foster this faith that's continuing to develop and mature and we want it as we want it to? That's one of the primary reasons we're approaching education at, from this direction in this manner with, with Colby's help and, and also helping our students cultivate good study habits and life skills. What do y'all think? Are, where's a good place to start? So with my homeroom students, we begin every homeroom with a student-led presentation on a saint of the week, and they're able to pick a saint, or sometimes I pick for them, but I do encourage them to pick a saint that they don't necessarily know a ton about. And so with their presentation, it's not only like, you know, the life of the saint, the history, but their impact then and now. And then you'll see the students making comments, you know, in the chat box of where they see those connections today. And my goal of those presentations is for students to maybe feel a connection to a saint that maybe they didn't know a lot about before. And just seeing how their impact, it wasn't just however many years ago, but it can still be seen today. That's neat. I love the saint of the week study. It's like befriending them, like making new friends, to think of them as people, to think of them when those saints were 
the students' ages, like what they were like at that age and, and beyond, and, and to call upon them and support them as they're growing in their faith. That's really neat. Mrs. Hayes, you have some ideas on this too, right? Yeah. So in the literature classes, we read one saint biography, but even outside of the saint biography, which in the sixth grade, we read um, St. Catherine of Siena, which is a good one. And um, Mm -hmm. my students always like that. The real bulk of her story starts right about when she was 12. And so that's kind of that they relate to that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the other stories that we're reading are not, while they're not saint stories specifically necessarily, Mm -hmm. they are, there are themes of faith and, and going back to that idea of the middle schoolers are capable of thinking about things at a deeper level. And so we're able to really think about what sort of bigger themes are being shown in each of the stories. And then we really apply it to our own lives and encourage them to really think about how does this sort of overall lesson that this character has learned, uh, in what ways does this affect your life? What does this teach you about how you are approaching relationships and choices and and how you go about life um, and how you go about your faith life and things like that? And so it's sort of switching from when they're younger, you're very much inputting a lot of things. You're listening to saint stories, you're reading saint stories, you're sort of putting things in. Mm -hmm. And then as they hit middle school, now you're sort of connecting that to their lives and drawing out their own interpretation of those. And that's where it's nice to get them, like Alex said, talking about different saint stories that beyond the conventional, mm-hmm. but beyond the ones they've always heard, go for the more unique ones, because often they'll find their sort of saint friends in that, that they can connect to going forward. Sure. It makes so much sense. Have you had any saints that surprised you? Do any stick out in your mind as, oh, I hadn't met that one yet, or any of those on the road to canonization that you guys have been learning more about? I've been talking with my students this last year, especially about Carlo Acutis, blessed Carlo Acutis, because Mm -hmm. he was a new one I hadn't heard of before. And um, his cause is very much getting going right now. And I just think he's such a cool one for our Colby students, especially since we have an online school, because his ministry was online. He had a website about the Eucharistic miracles. And he was a kid, just a normal kid. He played Pokemon, he played video games, but he also was a daily communicant whenever he could. And so I found that my students really related to him and he's been a cool new saint that we've been talking about recently. Yeah, that's been great to watch that unfold. And he does seem so relatable and perfect for our our Colby student. That's right. What about you, Mrs. Pischke? There is a special lady I like to bring up with my students. She is called the Martyr of the Amazon. Her name is Dorothy Stang. And I love talking about her because she lived in Brazilian rainforest and was an advocate for the locals whose land was being taken over by cattle ranchers and loggers, like basically just coming in and taking these people's land that had been there for centuries. Mm-hmm. And so I, we talk about how you, you can be a voice for the innocent or the voice for those who are being taken advantage of. Yeah. I just, I love her story because we even see that today where, yeah. you, you know, there's people that you need to stick up for and it's hard. And she actually lost her life sticking up for those people. So I do like to talk about her every year with my homeroom students. Wow, that is so compelling. I'm sure they're just agog at the story. That's so neat. I know my girls are particularly interested in stories of inspiring people, you know, athletes and artists and musicians and, and the saints are all of those looking to the saints for inspiration 
What a great idea as well. And then we, the parents, can also pray to those saints, ask those saints for prayers on our middle schoolers' behalf. That's great. Do you have other things that you all talk about by way of prayer habits or things that you find work well for this age? Well, something we do is all Colby teachers begin and end class in prayer. And then a lot of us do prayer intentions where students are learning to not only um, share the prayers on their heart, but also praying with others. And so we found that to be something that's really powerful mm-hmm. are having those prayer intentions at the beginning of class as well. Yeah. Yeah. We do the prayer intentions at the beginning of my classes as well. I started that just this last year. I think I saw someone else, maybe it was Ms. Spishke's class did that. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I started doing that and they love it. It's been a great opportunity for them to realize that their classmates might be struggling with something that they otherwise wouldn't know about. And so I find they're a little gentler with each other mm-hmm. as needed. You know, if they know that one of their classmates are struggling with something like they've moved across the country and they had to leave behind all their friends. And it helps build that compassion. Mm-hmm. As Ms. Pushki said, it helps them both share what's on their heart and to sort of take on others' burdens and realize that they can help one another by praying for one another. Oh, definitely. That's such a great thing to to get them thinking about and and thinking about others and praying for them and knowing that their prayers are helpful to other people. That's something that in a very real way they can do for other people. That's great. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some strategies for establishing good study habits at home and in the online environment for our Colby students, our Colby middle schoolers. So as the school year is gaining some traction and we're getting some momentum going, it's still pretty early on, and for many of the Kobe students, it's probably still very new, this whole this whole business, right? So let's talk about, Mrs. Pischke, some success strategies for uh, those who are doing online classes, either one or multiple or all online, or some or all of it. Let's start with that. I spend the first couple weeks of homeroom going over these basics because it's as simple as before class even starts creating a dedicated workspace. And it doesn't have to be like some fancy like home office or school room. I've seen students that there's multiple students learning at the kitchen table. Um, But a great strategy I've seen, and you can buy these at the Dollar Tree, is like the little trifold boards. So with middle school, the key is limiting distractions because you can think they're not going to be looking at everything else, but they are. And that's closing out (laughs) other tabs on their computer. Um, But having this trifold where if they're in a group area where they can get easily distracted by the things around them, getting the trifold and then they can like staple the Colby calendar. Um, They can have like important notes maybe that they need on it. They can decorate it. Like that is like their personal space when it comes time for learning. And then the other part is having some type of like caddy or something where all of their notebooks for school are right there. They have calculators, pen, pencils, highlighters, because there's so many times you're in class and the student's like, oh, I forgot my notebook, you know, and I don't know where it is. I leave it in the dining room. Is it in the kitchen? Is it in the laundry room? You know, so having dedicated learning areas is so important. So having the conversation with your families before school starts, I mean, like, you know, where is our learning space going to be? What do we need in this space? I always tell students, what does it look like? What does it sound like? And what does it feel like? Mm, Um, So keeping those three questions in mind when creating those spaces. And then um, the second part is practicing like uploading documents and how to properly save documents. And the student orientation certificate is the reason why we require that in every class is for students to practice it multiple times. Mm -hmm. So showing your middle schooler 
how to create folders on your computer, like just for them where they can save all of their scan documents and have a folder for math, for language arts, for religion, and just help them create those organization. Because there will be times where they submit something and for some reason, it doesn't go through. Um, and then they can't remember, like, I can't find my file, my scan, and I already threw away my homework. And so it helps yeah. prevent, like, because with middle schoolers, you know, you've probably seen their bedrooms. Like if something is missing, it's missing. Uh, so just really helping them and doing it visually. Like I walk them through my own, like I share my screen and I go, here's where you go to my files. This is homeroom. And they can see how I have everything organized by files. So you think it seems really like obvious and basic, but we need to make sure with our middle schoolers that we are being as basic as possible and showing them yeah. and walking them through them. Because I find having that dedicated learning space, organization, and then time management, using your planner, looking ahead at your schedule are three huge things to help our middle schoolers succeed. Mm-hmm. Great suggestions and good habits to start practicing and to be, we have to be really deliberate with them at the beginning of the year, don't we? Like it seems almost like, overkill to be like, okay, did you do this? Yes. <laughs> but, but the, the times that it doesn't happen. I mean, if I, I can very easily make the assumption of oh, that, they know how to do that, or they did that already. And nope, I come to find out later. No, Mrs. Hayes, you probably have some similar suggestions and more to add to that with your experience teaching middle schoolers online as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a big transition to go from elementary to middle school, whether they were in, you know, this past year with COVID, we had a lot of students coming from public schools into Colby. And so they were coming from a public elementary school mm-hmm. into an online middle school, right. which are, that's two big transitions there to, to go from a brick and mortar school to a, to an online school and going from elementary to middle is always a big transition. Even if you're in your local school um, and just going up to the next building next door. It's it's a big transition because right. you go from having, you know, one teacher has maybe 25 students and they're all the same age and grade and they're all doing the same stuff. And every student has just one teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have a music teacher or an art teacher, but they just have one teacher. Or if they're homeschooled, they have their, their mom right. or their dad who are teaching them. So they have just one teacher. And now mm-hmm. in middle school, suddenly you have multiple teachers. Right. You have a different teacher for math and English and science and religion. And that requires some executive functioning skills that are difficult. So they're difficult to learn. And like Mrs. Pushku was saying, modeling that is really important and explicitly teaching. I think it can be easy, especially if you have a smart kid or a very responsible kid to assume they'll pick it up and to assume this is common sense. Of course, you should name your file week one English homework and not just XYZ LT, which is what the computer wanted to, you know, automatically name it or unknown or, you know, PDF or or screenshot 245, you know, it's like, right. Yeah. You're not going to find that screenshot if it's labeled screenshot 245. Like you've got to give them a name and that seems common sense to us, but it's really not. It really is a skill. You have to teach it to them. But with that little bit of explicit instruction early in the year, and I think parents can help with that too. Mm-hmm. You know, when my son started with Colby classes, he's in eighth grade now. When he started with Colby classes four years ago, it was a lot of explicit teaching. I started with just 
him taking one class and now he takes multiple classes, but I started off with just one. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of explicit teaching. It was a lot of, you know, working with him on, okay, this is what you should do here. I've created a file on the computer for just your schoolwork, your schoolwork files, save them here. And then one for each year in addition and just reinforcing like, okay, you know, what do you have to do today? What's, what's going on and double checking, going onto his Schoology account and looking and seeing exactly not relying on the emails because the emails that Schoology sends are useful, but it's a broad overview. It doesn't give you all the details, but if I go directly on and view his Schoology account, I can see, oh, you know, you turned this one in a couple days late. Like what happened there? (laughs) Or did you double check that after you submitted it? Because your teacher says it was blurry and they couldn't read it. So they couldn't grade it. Just, you know, doing that. And and I've seen huge growth going from year one to year four in just as the parent taking on the role of coach, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of being like when he was younger, direct instructor, where I was the teacher, I taught him all his subjects. At this point, I'm stepping back and I'm more, I'm the coach. I'm there coaching him and encouraging him and helping him um, sort of tweak his approach to school and helping him manage his schedule and reminding him about things, but I'm not doing as much for him anymore. And it's been a nice transition. It's, It's a little hard at first to step back and realize oh, you know, I need to make him do it himself. But also I have to show him how to do it first. I can't just expect him to pick it up all by himself. Right. Yeah. That's so true. Where's that balance of this is for you to do. I need to stay on top of it, but it's not for me to do so much. And I see that relating also to the online classes, but it's not a matter of just saying, okay, good luck. Here's your class. And We'll see on the flip side, it's there's the middle ground there of helping them get organized and supporting them through it without overstepping or doing too much and letting them learn by doing and including the consequences that result from <laughs> when they upload something late or if it's blurry and, and coming back to follow up on, on the comments that are left or things like that. All of that is a learning experience for me as well. And, and uh, just when I think I've got it down, then something else comes up, you know, <laughs> but it's um, something I think a lot about with how much of this is for me to do and how much is for them to do. And actually more and more is for them to do, but not for them to just sort of figure it out from scratch. They don't have to recreate it from zero. So, well, that's actually something I wanted to um, talk about again. I'm really glad Mrs. Hayes brought that up. Yeah. So with elementary, obviously like with parent child, there's still a lot of handholding. Like you need to be there when their kids are doing their homework and constantly checking in. And then when they get to like middle school, it's like they don't want to hold your hand, Mm -hmm. but you still need to. And so it's really important that our parents are paying attention to the Schoology pages. They are paying attention to those assignments because I see come towards like the middle of the semester towards the end. They're like, oh, you know, I've noticed my child's been late on their schoolwork or they've been not getting good quality submissions and So just making sure you're checking those assignment comments, checking their grades. I call it the weekly Friday grade book. On Fridays, just go through. And if they're not getting full credit, have those conversations with your child. Like, what could you be doing differently? Is it quality of submission? Are you not showing your work? Are you late? Like, what solutions can we get? Because 
sometimes parents view online learning as hands off. Mm -hmm. And in middle school, they definitely still need those check-ins from their parents because it's a lot for them to take on in middle school. Like not only they, you know, as Mrs. Hayes was saying, they're trying to figure out how to go for some of our students from elementary school to middle school Mm -hmm. or from brick and mortar school to an online school. So they definitely need their parents there to help them out with that transition as well. Mm -hmm. And it can be confusing for the parents to look through the Schoology notifications and through the Schoology pages and figure out, well, what does this one mean? And I can view this, but I can't view that or whatever. So some of that takes some time and effort on the parents' part to get acquainted with Schoology and their resources that Kobe makes available to help in that process too. And we can ask for help via the chat and things like that if we're having trouble navigating the Schoology sections that the parents need to need to be able to do. So anything else about study habits For online, I would like us to look also at the homeschool side as well, but anything else with online? I think the biggest thing that I would add is the the need to um, to write things down in a planner of some sort, whether it's an online planner or a paper yeah. planner. I tend to default to a paper planner because I know for myself, it helps me to physically write something down to remember. Yeah. So I tend to encourage that with my students and with my own children, because I think a lot of our students can get overly confident thinking, well, I'm smart. I, I know I know my assignments. I can remember them. Yep. But what they don't realize is that it's not a matter of being smart. It's not a matter of having a good memory. The reality is when you have six, seven classes, all with different teachers, all with different schedules, and you have family obligations, you have extracurriculars, you may have soccer practice and, and Boy Scouts and, and all this different stuff. Mm-hmm. Any person, no matter how smart, no matter how to good memory, can't keep track of all that in their head. And if they are, they're stressing themselves out for no reason. You know, I always think, why use your brain to hold that stuff when a piece of paper would hold it just as well? Mm -hmm. And so try to encourage them to write down those assignments, write down those due dates, get that stress out of your mind and onto paper so that they can stay organized, but enjoy life and not stay stressed about schoolwork or due dates because it's really very manageable if you stay on top of things. It's only when you're trying to hold all of that in your head and remember all of that in the midst of life that it can easily get overwhelming. And so keeping a planner of of any kind, just a sheet of paper that you keep all your assignments on for the week, whatever, helps to make it all a lot more manageable for them. Oh, definitely. I wholeheartedly agree. We tried to make that a practice for a long time to to write stuff down the planner to varying degrees of success. It's so true, even, you know, all the way from kids to adults, like we only have so much brain space that we can only keep so many things in our working memory right now. So let's write down what we can so we can free up some space to be more present at what we're actually doing right now in the moment and, and not be letting stuff slip through the cracks. I mean, stuff's going to happen. And Schoology, um, it, it can be, I think, a, a temptation to just go by the list of assignments that are due on the Schoology feed, but Schoology is not always accessible. So it's a good practice to write the assignments down in a, on paper and not rely on Schoology at the same time. Ask me how I know that. <laughs> so looking at the homeschool side, a lot of our families do courses, some or all online, and a lot of them do all homeschool or just a few online. So Mrs. Hayes, let's look at the homeschool side more, come at it from that direction, getting the school year off to a good start, um, things like that. 
Yeah. So thinking of getting the school year off to a start, I always like to do with my kids. Uh, I have six kids expecting number seven and they're all homeschooled. Well, my oldest is graduated now. So I've got four actively homeschooling, plus I've got a preschooler tagging along for the fun. Okay. <laughs> and so, so one thing I like to do is a soft start where I will start with a few subjects and not every subject in the very first week. So we'll start with just a couple of subjects, usually core subjects. I'm thinking English, math, the skill-based things where you can't squeeze it into a shorter period of time. Yeah. So we, we do a soft start to as, as one tactic to sort of help build up to a full schedule. And also I make checklists for my kids. I find my family, yeah. again, I've got six kids. <laughs> it's very busy. Yes. We don't do well with a schedule per se, like a time-based schedule just isn't going to work. And mm -hmm. I teach some days and I don't teach other days. And so that just doesn't work for us. But a checklist works really well for my kids. I've got two of my kids that have ADHD and dyslexia and the others do not, but they're kids. So, you know. Right. Yep. <laughs> Those are great strategies for everyone. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it works for my very type A firstborn, yep. and it works for my, you know, very like mm -hmm. sort of all over the place kind of ADD kids <laughs> to have a, just a checklist so they can see, okay, I have to do this. But it also means they can see, hey, I'm almost done. I've only got two more things to check off, yep. and then I'm allowed to go play outside. Mm -hmm. So having a checklist can really help with that kind of thing. And I especially do that for my upper elementary, middle, and middle school kids, and then transition them into managing their own checklist and creating their own checklist and own routine in high school. So that that's part of it is just having that checklist because that, that keeps us accountable without requiring us to be in the school room at a particular time of the day, every day, doing things all at the same time. Because the reality is, yeah, we may start at the same time sometimes, yeah. but halfway through the day, the three-year-old has an accident and I have to go deal with him mm -hmm. and everybody's left to their own devices. And without any clue what to do next, that would easily devolve into, I'm going to go play video games. I'm going to go read a book up in my room. I'm going to go run outside and play with the bunnies. Like, yep. yeah. And so it, it's sort of that nice balance of um, direction that they need, but it also allows them to be independent. Because if I only keep the plans in my binder something where I know what we're doing, but the kids don't know what we're doing next, mm -hmm. then as soon as I'm not in control of the situation and right there, it devolves. And so then they're too heavily dependent on mom yeah. to tell them what to do next. So this way they know what to do next yep. and I'm available to help them. But if I have to step away to deal with a toddler, or if I've got one kid crying over math and I've got to go help them one-on-one -on -one and I really can't answer questions for a little bit, yep. they can keep working. And I can say, okay, you have a question about your English. That's fine. Go do your science because I know you can do that by yourself and I'll come back to you and help you with the English stuff later. And that helps keep that balance between yep. parental direction, but also independence because you need to have a bit of both. Right. So that structure is helpful to everyone. You have a sense of with which subjects you're going to need to spend more time with each kid. And if everybody's got their agenda for the day, then they can get started on something while someone else is, is getting that uh, direct instruction. And then, then, then we can circle back and pick up where we need to that, that if we don't have that structure, then 
just let me know when you're ready. But then that turns out to be much, much later and getting everyone back on task is much, much more difficult. <laughs> yeah, one way that we can draw upon the richness of the Colby curriculum in supporting our middle schoolers is through the literature selections that are offered in the Colby curriculum. And this is your area of expertise, Mrs. Hayes. So how can the middle school literature selections inform these years for the better? So I love our literature selections. It's part of what made me fall in love with Colby's curriculum. They're challenging, but they're interesting. Mm -hmm. And I find that our literature selections default to, especially the ones that we choose to focus on in the online school because we have a mixed group of kids. They default to appealing to the boys, which I like because the reality is a lot of books that appeal to girls won't appeal to boys, but books that appeal to boys tend to appeal to both genders, mm -hmm. which is nice. And so yeah. I, I find that that tends to work really well in the classroom. But of course, with the homeschool selections, you have a good bit more freedom. You have a whole... Mm -hmm. I've never counted, but I don't know, there's like 25 different books that you can read between say fourth grade and sixth grade right. at, that you can choose from, which I love because it allows you to tailor it to what your family prefers and focuses on. Everybody, every family has their own culture and what your particular student really likes. Yep. I mean, I've got a daughter who really loves animals. And so of course I'm going to be choosing books that are like Black Beauty, which she would love. Her brothers would be bored to tears by it because they just don't, they just don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but on the flip side, you know, they love, you know, Swiss Family Robinson or, or something like that. But I love that all of the books that we have in the Colby literature curriculum are, they're all classics. And that doesn't just mean, I think a lot of people have a misconception that classics are just, that they're arbitrarily chosen because they were written by rich white guys or something. Yeah. <laughs> and the reality is A, they aren't. And and B, they're, they're classics, not because they're old, mm -hmm. though it does have to be a certain age to be a classic because, and I tell my kids this, I'm like, you know, some of the books you're reading now will become classics in the future. They will be considered classics, but they couldn't possibly be now because they're, they're too new. What you need to see is, does a book speak to people across different time periods and across different uh, cultures, across different geographical regions. That's what makes a book a classic. And that's what's so great about the Colby literature selections for middle school is that these are classics and they're engaging and they're speaking to universal truths and universal common experiences. You know, my kids will be able to completely relate to certain struggles the characters are going to have. When we, uh, my sixth graders, we start off the year with a, the bronze bow, which is one of my favorites. And they can relate to these sort of anger issues of the main character and his problems with forgiving someone who has egregiously uh, wronged him. You know, I mean, he's right to be offended, mm -hmm. but he's not right to not forgive. And they can really relate to that because it's speaking to something that is part of the human experience. And that's the nice thing about the Colby literature selections is that if you are a human, you are going to be able to relate in some way to the, the themes and experiences in the books. Right. Sure. 
Okay, Mrs. Pischke, do you have any particular math tips you'd like to offer to middle schoolers or those who are coming to online math for the first time? So with middle school math, like practice is so important. So definitely doing that homework. And if you see your child struggling, there's so many amazing online resources like CUDA's one, K-U-T-A. And then you can also just like email the teacher. Like I know I'm always happy to have a parent email me where I send them like games kids can play and things like that. Because when you're learning the basics of math, it just takes practice and repetition, you know, because those are the skills that they're going to use. Like, for example, we cover integers in Accelerated Math 7. Like just how do you add, subtract, multiply, and divide positive and negative numbers? Mm -hmm. And you will use that not only in upper level math, but every single day in your future. So they're just, they're learning so many like fundamental lessons and skills in mathematics. So I always tell my students, practice, practice, practice is the most important thing. Okay, good. Do you find people when they learn that you teach math online, are they like, well, how does that work? How do you even do that? Well, one of the hardest things is if you were in a brick and mortar school, you go to math class every single day. So the biggest challenge we have is how do you condense five days of material into two days? And we just make sure our students understand from the beginning, like the pace of middle school math is a little bit faster because we're having to cover five days worth of work in two days. And something that myself and I know I'm some of the other middle school math teachers offer are something called note catchers. They're optional to print, but we always encourage them because they're basically fill in the blank notes with all the practice problems already there. So if your student's taking a math class where they offer those, encourage them to print them because otherwise they're spending so much time trying to write every example down that they're not having time to solve the problems. So the pace of the class is quicker and that can be something that takes students a little bit longer to get used to the faster pace of the class. Mm -hmm. That sounds like an ideal resource, very handy. Sometimes I've found with my own kids when stuff is presented as optional, like, okay, that they said it's optional, like actually, no, if they're offering it to you, (laughs) go ahead and save it and use it. I mean, they, they took the time to compile it and present it to you. Let's make use of it, (laughs) let's do that. Yeah, I, I say, Optional, but highly encouraged are the words I always put with it. Right, yeah. (laughs) Okay, we've covered a lot of great ground here. Are there other resources or recommendations that you have for families as as we pick up steam with this school year? I would just tell your child, um, don't be afraid to ask those questions. If they're confused on how to submit a homework assignment, where to find something, like tell them not to be afraid to ask because... In middle school, so many students are like embarrassed to like ask a question, but most of the time I tell them what your question is. I can almost guarantee you there's a couple of students wanting to ask the exact same thing. (laughs) And in the Adobe Connect room, if there's ever something called like a QA and a pod, that is anonymous. So the teacher can see it, um, but nobody else can. So that if a student wants to ask something that they don't want to put like in the chat box that everybody can see, Mm -hmm. they can always message the teacher privately. And whether it's, can you please re-explain how to do this assignment? And they can ask it there where it's not public to their classmates. Oh, that's good to know. I certainly remember as a middle schooler hesitating to speak up with questions like that, even though the teacher had said, if you've got a question, someone else does too. Still, I was still, nope. (laughs) about you, Mrs. Hayes? Yeah, I always encourage my students to take advantage of the plus sides of online education. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you don't have to be in a building for eight hours a day. You have a great deal of freedom. Mm -hmm. And if you can stay somewhat organized so that you're, you know, reasonably on top of your assignments, there's a great freedom that comes with that. And there are advantages to just being online in that, like, if you're embarrassed to ask a question in class, you can email your teacher privately outside of class and nobody's going to see that except your teacher. Mm -hmm. And that can be nice, especially for kids who maybe have a hard time, maybe in the moment forming the question or thinking about it. Or if they have that, that issue that, that all of us tend to have where the teacher's like, do you have any questions? And at the time you're like, no, nope. but then an hour later when you're doing your homework, you're thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. So they can email at that point and it can be any time of day. It can be 11 o'clock at night, no big deal. And they may not get an answer right away at 11 o'clock at night, unless your teacher's a complete night owl like I am. <laughs> but you can email it right then when you're thinking about it and then get an answer back the next day so that you can mm -hmm. and get a pretty thorough answer and privately where you don't feel like you're on the spot. And as a teacher, I know if one student emails me about something, nine times out of 10, three other students have emailed me about the exact same thing. Yeah. And so it, when that happens, that's a clue to me, okay, I need to go over that in class and without naming names and saying, well, Joe and Sally and Mary all emailed me about this. No, I just, <laughs> I've received several emails asking about this concept. So clearly I didn't go over this enough. Let's review that a little bit in class, mm -hmm. which is great because then, you know, everybody can benefit from it. Right. And they're all thinking, shoot. Right. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, um, but yeah, they're just, so many advantages to it. And so I think, you know, I think last year everybody was very focused on the negatives because they were forced into it, which isn't a nice feeling to feel forced into switching up your child's school or switching up your own school as a, as a middle schooler. But the reality is in ordinary years, most of our kids love it. Yeah, And a lot of kids who came in last year at the beginning of the year, a little bit reticent because understandably they were thrown into it right. without any choice. Their parents didn't have a choice. They didn't have a choice. They were just sort of trying to make the best of a bad situation. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the year, they realized there are a lot of advantages here. Yeah. I don't have to go to the same class five days a week. Mm -hmm. You know, I can go just twice. I can work a little more independently, have a little more free time yep. and I can meet people that I may not have otherwise met. I've had students from the Philippines and India and Mexico and Canada and Brazil and England, all, all kinds of places. And the students like that, you know, that they, they have friends that they might not have met in their town, yeah. which is really fun. A lot of my sixth graders end up being physical pen pals by the end of the year. They're mailing letters back and forth over the summer um, after a year together. So making use of those is nice. Absolutely, absolutely. There are positives to come out of this um, tough situation. We might not see them right away, but hope for those who are continuing on this year and those who will join us in the years to come that they will have um, equally as positive and better experiences. Well, ladies, this has been an especially lovely Coke break. Here's to a great year for you and your middle schoolers. Thanks so much for your time, wisdom, and warmth. You're welcome. You're welcome. Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam. 